Well, since the last time that we've seen each other, we've had two amazing holidays, have we not? We've had Christmas, we've had New Year's. For those who are on the nice list, can I get a raise of hand who got a good present from Santa? Yeah, all right, that means a lot of y'all were naughty. I gotta preach better. But Christmas was a fun time, and, and for us in the Hobbs family, it was everything I expected to be and more. Last year, our little one, Mila, she was only about two months, and she could fit eh, within this range, right? She was small and tiny. It could be carted everywhere, didn't crawl. She would fall asleep. The only thing we were concerned about was the altitude on her lungs when we were flying from Houston to Atlanta. This year, however, she was 14 months, which means that that girl was up walking and talking to everybody, including passengers on the plane, right, kicking a few seats. And so this time for Christmas, she received so many gifts. It was ridiculous. And it reminded me just of how blessed she truly is. And so this Christmas, I want to show just two pictures of what the holidays were like for us with Chantel's family in Atlanta. I think the first one you'll see here is one with her uh, cousin in, uh-oh, that's scripture. There we go. That's my little girl. So this first one here, she decided she was going to help her Mimi or her lovey rearrange the Christmas tree, right? In our home, we realized pretty soon that her helping meant a lot of misplaced ornaments or broken glass. Mimi kept them on the bottom, and so Mila thought, let me just rearrange them. The other thing is, during this Christmas time, she has an older cousin named Bella. Isabella is almost three years old. She's two and a half. And what the grandparents got for Bella was this little old Flintstone car. You know what I'm talking about? The car that opens on the side that you got to pat your feet with to make move. And so here it is. Mila's sitting in the driver's seat with her older cousin Bella in the background. Just precious, isn't it? You can just see the joy. Now, I don't need to tell you a few moments later, <laughs> Mila, because she can up, walk, and do everything else, was stuck in between the front bumper of that car and the floor, and we had to lift her out, right? <laughs> but there she is, her and her cousin, so cute. We also had the privilege this Christmas season while I was on vacation to help my aunt or Chantel's aunt move homes. She had been in this home for 18 years, and her moving window came right during the time of Christmas and New Year's. So you can only imagine how busy and hectic it was. While we were there helping her to sort out the kitchen, fighting about who gets the chinaware or who doesn't, I'm kind of into that, I'll be honest with you, right? I'm a millennial, but I love good traditions. While we were there figuring out, do you want to keep this spatula or throw this spoon away, we had the contractors to come in because although the home had been sold, the new owner allowed my aunt to remain inside of the house to get everything out and everything in order. But the new owner wanted the contractor to come in because he owns the house technically and he has a tight window. So while we're in the kitchen doing all of this sorting out, the contractor is in the other room ripping out all of the carpet from the main bedroom to the kitchen. So all you hear is carpet being ripped and things being torn away. Well, finally, as the night progressed, I kind of took a last look at the house because she only let me see it twice. I've been in a family for six years now, and I've only seen her house twice. I joked with her this time. I said, I've seen your new house more than your old house, right? 
And so what I noticed is as I made my way from the living room all the way into the main bedroom and back again, that underneath carpet is not this plushy material that makes it feel soft. It's not wood, but in this home, it was concrete. And I noticed that from the main bedroom all the way into the kitchen, there was this little line zigzagging all along the house. It was a crack and it was a fissure. And as I thought about this and this new sermon series that we're in and the beginning of this whole new year, and it came to my mind, no matter how well the new owner of that home will decorate their house, no matter how many paintings they put up, no matter how many Yankee candles they burn, no matter how much incense is spilled out throughout the home, no matter what they do to beautify that house, if that fissure grows into a crack and the foundation is cracked and rocky, that home will not last. In our lives, no matter how many New Year's resolutions we set, no matter how well we dress up our lives, no matter how much money we have, how many vacations we take, how many children we have, how big our family grows, if our spiritual foundation has a crack in it, no matter how we build our life on top of it, the life we have will not last. And the truth is, we will continue to have the same problems that we did last year into this new year if we don't address and fix our spiritual foundation. In a way, it would just be a new year with old problems. Nothing changes but the date. This is why I think when it comes to New Year's resolutions, studies will show that about 50% of all Americans will make New Year's resolutions. And so just to see if this is accurate or not, because you can't believe everything you read, if you have a New Year's resolution this year, could you please raise your hand? All right, we're close to like 30%. Okay, so we're under average here. It's all right. It's all right. I still believe we're above average in other places. But we create these New Year's resolutions. We create these new goals. We say that I'm going to have these entirely new habits. Most of the time, it's to get my body right so I look the way I did when I was 20 years younger. Some of us, it's to get out of debt so we can become financially free and able to do more things. For some of us, it's about mindsets, and we want to have a healthier way of living and thought processes. But whatever it is, listen to these stats that I discovered. According to an article I read, 95% of all people who set a New Year's resolution will eventually fail. 10% will fail by January. Some of y'all are laughing because it's already happened, right? <laughs> the second Friday of the new year is often referred to as Quitter's Day. It's the day when a good number of people just give up entirely on trying to maintain their New Year's resolution. After three months, about 50% of people who have set goals have failed and have given up. And 1%, this is really interesting to me, 1% in December just give up. I'm like, you're so close to the finish line, but that 1% decides, ah, still too long. And so I think of the 95% of us who can't keep up with our New Year's resolutions is that these goals don't stick, that these resolutions don't have any follow-through because we're still the same person as we were last year, even though we're making new goals this year. 
And so as we think about who do we want to become and living life by better means and according to the gospel and making all these new goals and these new resolutions, I truly believe that if we're going to do this, before we can ever create a habit, before we can ever create a goal or come up with a new resolution, we have to address and strengthen our spiritual foundation. Here's a question that I want to begin with today. If God removed the carpet of our souls, how many fissures and cracks would he find? If God removed the carpet of our souls, if he peeled back layer by layer everything that we have at the deepest part of who we are, how many cracks, how many fissures, how many splits, how many weak points would God find? In the text today, we read about the Pharisees and John's disciples. They began to question Jesus. They told Jesus, wait a minute now. John's disciples are fasting. The Pharisees are fasting. But you and your homeboys, y'all aren't fasting. What's going on? To know a little bit about the background, the truth is Jews were only required to fast one day a year, and that was called the Day of Atonement. Only one time. But what happened is the Pharisees, being very religious and legalistic, they would fast two times a week. They would do it on Monday and Thursday because I jokingly say they don't want to skip brunch on Saturday, right? So they would fast two times a week. And in addition to that, John's disciples would also fast. And so they're posing a question to Jesus to say, hey, if these are good Jews, if these are people who are supposed to be following and waiting on the Messiah and just like us and they're supposed to be spiritual, shouldn't they be fasting even more than what they are? Jesus hits them with this. He says, how can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. In essence, what Jesus is saying is my disciples today with him, as we're reading that scripture, they are not fasting because the bridegroom or the Messiah is currently with them. Who's going to fast during a wedding celebration? All of that happens beforehand so you can fit in a dress. Can I get a witness, right? All of that happens beforehand so you can button up the top button and don't look like you're choking yourself, right? But when the day finally comes, all of us in here know we don't save on the cake. We go in, ask for doubles and triples. And so what Jesus is saying is my disciples understand that I am with them, that I am who I say I am. So there's no need for fasting or for mourning. We're celebrating. And then he goes on to tell them two parables. The first, he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into wineskins. What I want to do for the next couple of moments is to really examine how both of these parables and these stories are applicable to us, especially how we start the new year. Because oftentimes we can treat Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ like a new patch on old wardrobe or new wine inside of an old wineskin. See, this first parable about a new garment and a new patch is very interesting. If you've ever noticed a patched-up garment, it's pretty easy to recognize that. Can I get a witness? 
Some of us have had to patch up some holes in our days on our jeans, right? Some of us just love to put on different patches and paraphernalia. Some of us love to put the flowery patch on and everything like that. If you're like me, you love to just cut holes in them, right? That don't need a patch. I'm fully okay. But when it comes to patched garment, when people look at it, they can see that new fabric has been sewn in, and they can also see where the old fabric has been. The question for us is, when people look at our lives on a day-to-day, can they see that we've sewn Christ into the Sunday section? Meanwhile, everything else Monday through Saturday looks kind of old. When people look at our lives, do they see that we've done patchwork with Christ in the gospel to say that, God, you can have control over this domain, but in this area of my life, I won't let you. God, I'll give you my children, but I won't give you my profession or my finances. God, I'll give you my finances, but I won't give you my family and my dreams. God, I'll give you my dreams, but I won't give you everything else that I'm dealing with. God, I will give you something, but I won't give you everything because I'm trying to patch you into the rest of my life. How many of us have done this with God where we say, God, I'll give you something, but I won't give you everything. And what God is saying to us before we begin this new year is that if we're going to follow through with resolutions that actually count, if we're going to truly inspect and do a better job at strengthening our soul, it's going to require us to not patch God into our life, but to make God the whole entire everything. Because God doesn't just want to do something. God wants to do everything. God doesn't want control of some parts. God wants all parts. And the question becomes, are we patching God into our life? Or is God our life in total? Because when you think about this, what happens in this example that Jesus uses is that eventually, once you wash that garment that has the new patch sewn in, it stretches itself out and tears away different pieces of that new fabric. What has been sewn in so intricately now gets destroyed and broken and ripped apart. And the same can be said in life. When we allocate God to certain areas of our lives and God applies the pressure, God brings a test to try us. So God allows certain things in our life that applies that pressure to us, similar to pressure is applied to a garment that's being washed then we would see this great separation between who we say we are and what we actually believe. See, it looks good and it looks wearable and it looks functional until pressure is applied. And often Christians have this good faith that appears real, it looks real, it sounds real. That's how God stretches and reveals that we're still holding on to our old garments and old way of thinking. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, listen to these words. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we give our lives to Christ and we become Christians, Everything within us must become new. We can't hold on to old ways of thinking. We can't hold on to old systems. We can't hold on to old thought processes. We can't hold on to old habits and old lifestyles. We ourselves have to become new. So when we try to patch God into something he wants to transfigure and transform, it eventually will never work. How many of us just want God to patch up some things in life? while we deal with the rest. 
The second example he gives is the old wineskins. I don't know if you've ever seen a wineskin bag, but it's like this leather sack that has been made with lambskin or goatskin. And what happens is they will pour wine into it. The problem is when you first create wine and you've pressed it, it has to go through a fermentation process. And so if you pour wine, new wine, into a new bag, the bag begins to grow with the wine as the wine expels its gases. The wine has to emit these gases. If you pour new wine into an old wine skin, what happens is eventually that new wine, as it emits this gas, as it grows and expands, it stretches that old wineskin in a capacity and in a way that it can't contain. And now the new wine has been ruined and the old wineskin has been destroyed. For this example, I think of the fact that when I first gave my life to Christ, I will never forget, I was at Lakeview Conference Center there in Palestine, Texas. Some of us remember when we would send our kids to youth camp back in the day. I was one of the kids that, that went and I will never forget I had gave a devotion early in the morning because my grandmother always told me, and I've said this before, when you go to church, you don't just show up, but you also help to serve. So there was an opportunity for me to serve in preaching and giving a devotion. I've never done it before. I had my grandfather's funeral Bible, and it was in King James with gold embroidery. I thought I was saying something when I said, thou shalt not and thou mustest that and got tongue confused, right? So what happened was after I preached, uh, some pastors began to affirm me and to see me, and I gave my life to Christ, and I came to church that following Sunday. People praised me and said, oh, that's our boy. I'm so happy for him. And then the following week, I took my Bible because it was summertime. I took it with me everywhere I went in my neighborhood. I took it with me to the park when I saw people gambling and playing craps. I took it around the neighborhood when I saw people doing drug deals. I took it with me in my neighborhood everywhere that I went. But the problem was, eventually, I succumbed to sin in a way that I should not have as kids in a room. But I eventually sinned. And it was quickly that I sinned. The very day that I was walking around the neighborhood, three days after I had gotten saved, I sinned in the most egregious way I could think of. And the reason because of that is I had the Bible in my hand and this new belief and this new lifestyle, but my environment and everything else had not changed. So I had a new condition and way of living, but I still had old friends. I still had an old neighborhood. I still had old habits. I still had old influences. I still had a structure and a framework. And that is what I think this parable is getting at. At times when God gives us this new gospel and this way of life, instead of us using it as the framework, we put it within a frame. Instead of us using the gospel as a way of saying, this is what it means to live. Here is how I'm going to behave. These are my morals. This is my lifestyle. These are the people I need to hang around with. Let me come to church or worship online. Let me be here in person with the people. Let me join a small group. Let me be a part of a Sunday small group study. Instead of us trying to change all of that in our lives, fitting into the framework, we begin to take this new wine, this new gospel, this new love, and we pour it into old wine skins. And what we'll see is that the gospel cannot be contained by any box that we put it in. That the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot and will not fit into the framework that we try to put it in because the gospel was meant to transform our lives. 
with it in us to transform the gospel. I'll never forget this past week, I had an amazing opportunity to see God move in ways that were phenomenal. That's the only way that I can put it. You know, pastors, we love to tell a good story and to boost things up. But when I tell you I have never seen what I've seen this past weekend, or really this past week in my life, it started off when I was at service Sunday evening my father-in-law's church. They had received 15 new converts to the faith. 15 people on New Year's Eve gave their life to Christ for the first time. That is pretty much 90% of them, about 12 of them, were all adults. Adults that had given their life to Christ for the first time were being baptized. This same week, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to a conference called Passion. Have anybody heard of Passion Conference? Some of you have heard it. Y'all. All right, let me, let, me, let me try to land this plane here. Y'all been to the Astros. I was going to say Texans, but y'all been to the Astros Stadium, right? By a show of hands, who's ever seen the Astros play? Okay. If you haven't seen the Astros play, don't worry. The season is coming. But if you've ever been in Minute Maid Stadium or if you've ever been in NRG Park or if you've ever been into a stadium, just imagine that every single seat in that place is filled. But it's filled with people who are praising God and worshiping him. At Passion 24 in Atlanta in Mercedes Stadium, over 60,000 people joined for a two-day conference to worship and to praise God. And here's the crazy part about that, y'all. They were mostly young folks, 18 to 23 years old. When have you seen that many young people from all across a metro city, from all across the states, gather in such droves and such a crowd that they filled that stadium more than the Falcons could on a Sunday game day? As the band comes back up, or actually no, because we're doing communion. It's old habits, y'all. It's old habits. That was a joke. Okay, it's fine. Another story that I learned while I'm there at that conference, and, and y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm on the floor because we had connections, right? Praise God for connections. I'm on the floor in the VIP section, which is crazy to say in a church conference, right? Because I'm like, Lord, is there VIP in heaven? No, I'm in the back. But I'm sitting on the floor, and I just, it's crazy to join with 50,000 other people who were singing songs and praises to God. But we met somebody else there. And what they told me, they said that they attended a church where the pastor had done Middle East work because he was Egyptian. This pastor would go into Kairos and he would preach the gospel. And in preaching the gospel, men would be saved. But here's the catch. If they find out that you have converted to Christianity in Kairos, Egypt, what they'll do is put you into the army or you will be dead in three days. Can you imagine that? You just accepted Christ into your life, and now in three days, your life is in immediate danger. This man, y'all, story has been proven. This man went in and saved 17,000 men on one day. 
And you know what the government did? They didn't threaten all them in. They didn't put them all into the army. They left them all alone. So this past week, I've seen 15 people walk up into the waters of baptism and have their lives transformed. I join in crowds of 60 plus thousand worshiping God. And I learned about a man who risked his life so that 17,000 others would risk their life too to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we think about making New Year's resolutions and we think about goals and who we want to become, let us always remember that the God we serve is bigger and better than anything we could ever imagine or dream of. And when we make these goals, this will just be another year with the same problems if we don't inspect our heart and souls. So here's the gospel. Here's, here's the message that I just want to leave with us today. As we enter into communion and we transition to the table, here's what I want you to sit with. Because it's also what I'm sitting with. Am I trying to fit the gospel into my life? Or am I trying to fit my life into the gospel? Am I trying to fit the gospel into my life? Or am I fitting my life into the gospel? For a quick moment, I want us to observe a moment of silence to really reflect on that question. Am I trying to fit the gospel into my life or am I fitting my life into the gospel? Lord, this morning we are so grateful for what you have done on our behalf on the cross and as we enter into this new year, Lord, we ask that you would help us to not fit the gospel into our lives, to not fit what you're doing into what we're doing, but God, change us and transform us in such a way that we become who you want us to be and are lived and transformed by the gospel. In your son's holy and precious name we pray, amen.